Who are you? What does it mean to be human? What is truth? Is your red the same as my red? Is free will truly free? What is morality? Join us as we explore these ideas and more in The Philosopher's Stone. Welcome everybody back to our second episode of the currently irregularly scheduled podcast Philosopher's Stone. I myself, Dustin, and my brother Darren here are your hosts, and today we will be talking about Perspective and Morality Part 2. So Part 1 that we talked about in our first episode was kind of more in line with a research paper that I wrote for an English class. This episode is kind of more just going to be like a free form of just a general discussion of, of perspective and morality and kind of our, our takes on, on the topic. So Darren, you want to start us out? So perspective and morality, which we kind of really touched on, started touching on in our last episode, where I think I'll just try and give a quick recap of what we covered and then from there maybe try and hit the edge of what our last discussion was and we can go from there. That sound good? Sounds perfect. All right. So I think if my memory serves me correctly, in the last episode, we were, we basically said, you know, the world is objective, but we are beings of perspective with a subjective perspective on the objective world. And the issue then was that basically morality is, the idea of morality seems to be objective. And yet, if our perspective is subjective, then to some extent, what we ought to do needs to be related to who we are as a unique subjective individual and i think the idea that we kind of hit kind of ended on was that basically morality is objective but relative to each individual does that sound right yeah that sounds that sounds correct by the way if anybody would like to participate in this conversation feel free to go into the public discourse and you know add in your your comments and everything uh, yes. As we go through this discussion, we'd love to we'd love to hear some some feedback from you guys. Hundred percent. So I do think we kind of left off, and partly because it's kind of where we at in the process of discussing this this topic. I think we really looked at the idea of perspective and morality, really more so from an objective or as objective as possible perspective, if that makes sense. <laughs> but so. I've honestly been kind of reading this this book called Maps of Meaning by Jordan Peterson, and I'm probably going to reference it a lot in this discussion today, one, because I'm in the process of reading it, and it's got a lot of good stuff that I think is very pertinent to our discussion of perspective and morality. And with this conversation, I would like to take it kind of more more so towards the the subjective side of of this of this discussion. So Jordan Peterson, he he identifies a view of the world in 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 two regards one as the world as a place of things and the other the world as a forum for action and he argues that we especially in our modern society we look at the world we try to look at the world through a very scientific lens we try to look at it from a very objective we look at it as as a place of things right and we try to take all subjectivity out of out of how we view the world. And in doing that, we take away the view of the world as a form for action, which is very much my interpretation of the of his argument, it's very much more so looking at the world through a subjective lens. And if you take the take out the subjectivity of of the world, you're you're not left with with any any method with which to to move through life, you don't have a set of you don't have a moral set of values. You don't have a, a hierarchical value system with which to make decisions through life, which leaves you with really no no purpose <laughs> essentially, and it can lead to very very dark conclusions. Which I I can see how that argument can can result in some of the things we see in in the modern in the modern world, some of the more the, the darker the darker things that we've we've seen because we're we've essentially taken the to some extent taken a lot of the the subjectivity out of out of society no that I completely agree I think that really kind of ties into the idea when we first were kind of touching on this i I don't even know how long ago 
when we were talking about truth and basically talking about how we can't know the entirety of truth. But the beauty of that, and this is where the subjective perspective is extremely important, especially for us as human beings, is that we can't know the entirety of truth. But the unique thing about a subjective perspective or is that you you get to experience truth. You get to experience that in your life. And I think that that is the aspect a lot of people miss, but that's where that form for action is so important in understanding you are experiencing truth. And so you need to know what what is the next, what is the right path forward to experience truth properly in your life, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that 100% makes sense. And so I... I think in order to live, at least find a way to live the best life, you really have to take into account both both the subjectivity and the sub the objectivity and the subjectivity of mm-hmm. of life. You know, what I'm saying if you if you yeah. live your life entirely subjectively as a form for action, if you live if you live your life that way, then you're basically going to end up in kind of a a fantasy, essentially. Yeah. But if you live your life entirely objectively, trying to take all sense of subjectivity out of existence you're not going to be left with much of (laughs) it's going to be very bland and very depressing essentially yeah yeah and that's i think what i mean we were kind of talking about last night i think that the kind of system is that you have to understand the objective world but then you have to know why that's important and how that relates to your value structure and what to do with that information because if you don't know what to do with that information like you said, like it, you, you're just kind of living almost a dead life of information without any value behind it, without any relationship to you. So I, I completely agree with that. And I think that it's very important to both understand the place for things and the form for action, because the place for things should help you understand the form for action for you to take moving forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and 100% makes sense. And so Jordan Peterson in his in his massive meaning as he's discussing this, he does relate kind of the form for action and relationship to the myth and including the myth is is kind of religion, which I've never grown up in more of a of a, of a religious with a religious background. It's you you see people that take religion with the very with the viewpoint of of looking at the world through as as an object or as a as a place of things, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, it's 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 kind of hard in some instances to argue with with some of those perspectives because a lot of religion is is based on on faith and stuff. Yeah. But when you look at things like religion through the lens of a forum for action, you then begin to realize the importance of kind of a more of you begin to value the 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 religious the idea of religion mm-hmm. and it, i guess it's kind of an an area that i'm kind of exploring a lot more because so in in my english course i read a a piece by carl jung and he's the guy that kind of really developed the idea of the collective unconscious and in this piece that i that i read it's kind of where i think he really originated or he originally discussed his idea of the, the personal collective unconscious, but in the story that, that he told of him and a client of his, his client, she had just recently lost her father, and her and her father were really close. And they were, they were close to the point where, where, to Carl Jung, she psychologically basically deified him in, in her own subconscious mind. And then when she came to Carl Jung seeking help, Eventually, that deification translated from her father to Carl Jung, and Carl Jung was like, "Okay, I have to figure out what to do with this." <laughs> essentially, and eventually they got it all sorted out. But he kind of related that tendency of deification to the, you know, the the trend within humanity of 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 religions. I mean, you go back to like, you know, ancient Egypt, ancient Greece, you know, the 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 vikings you know they all had their 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 deities they had their their gods and stuff like that and we look at it back you know we look at it as you know 
Greek mythology or Egyptian mythology, Nordic mythology, right? Mm-hmm. But there's there seems to be something very universal, very collective about about having a about believing in a higher power, and I think it can be kind of it's kind of twofold. One, because as we as we discussed in our previous episode, I personally don't believe that the the subject of morality of knowing definitively of of fully understanding definitively what is right and what is wrong is something that humanity was ever designed to carry. That's a burden that we were never designed to carry, and that's one that we struggle with the most, honestly. Yeah. Trying to understand definitively what is what is right and what is wrong. And in having a deity, you're essentially putting that burden on that that deity of saying this deity is the embodiment of what is right and what is wrong, and I just do what the Basically, I have the benefits of having a a moral system. I have mm-hmm. the benefits of having a higher uh, a value hierarchy yeah. with which to live my life and to make decisions upon which to make decisions. But I also have the benefit of not carrying the burden of understanding why I'm doing that, if that makes sense. Mm. And so you're not you're not taxing yourself with okay, why why do I live the 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 life the way I live or what is what is my purpose in life right and so having that deity kind of takes that that burden off of the individual and still gives them the benefit of trying to live the best life that they can within those I don't know if I call them boundaries but like yeah. it, it gives them a, a, a set of moral principles with which to live uh, life by to the best of their ability well I don't know that I fully agree with that it takes away the understanding of why you do it but i would i would say more so it gives you those moral principles are an objective it's a set of values that seems to be objective outside of you and the issue is that you're a dynamic person you are consistently changing and it's like how how can you know the right course of action to take for the future if you don't know where you're going to be in the future. And religion, I think, solves that issue because you're capable of basically, no matter who you become, no matter what you change into, you know that that aim is going to still be there. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. One of our listeners, they said, so I have a question on truth. We can say that truth is objective because it is in accordance to reality, but truth can also be subjective with the fact that it's accepted as your truth, such as your religious background. What would be your take on it? Is it separate or does it have relation with one another? So that's something that we did kind of discuss a little bit in our, our previous episode that we have yet to post. <laughs> uh, yet to, a place to post, but... And that's kind of... I promise. <laughs> so, in... That's it's very it's honestly very it's a very it's a very good question first of all, mm-hmm. and something that we're still kind of trying to trying to sort through. You, the the problem with truth, if you look at it from a purely logical standpoint, if if truth is subjective, then truth is liable to change from person to person. Therefore, in that sense, truth cannot be absolute. And if you were to say that truth is not absolute, well, then that's making an absolutely true statement, and therefore there's a paradox there. So, in 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 a sense, you can say that that truth is objective reality. Truth is because truth has to be absolute. But I do think, I do think, even from from an objective perspective, you can still say that having a a subjective experience with the objective reality can be a truth if that makes sense it's not necessarily that the subjective perspective itself is truth but that your react the individual's reaction to an event is a a sense of truth if that makes sense i i don't know <laughs> yeah i think you know we talk about the relationship between the objective and the subjective and it's like we are subjective beings but that doesn't mean that your experience and that your perspective is necessarily untrue that like what you're going through from a subjective perspective isn't real, but it's more so that, and this is kind of what we're trying to do, is we're trying to relate the subjective experience with the objective world. And it's like, you can't, it, 
it seems to be that there is an objective truth, there is something that is 100% real, but that that has to be related to your perspective. And that I think I think that they're separate, but there has to be a relationship between the two that is very, very strong. And that because you're interacting with the world around you, kind of your quote-unquote personal truth would be your imperative in how you ought to react with the world because not everyone is given the same set of tools with which to react to interact with the world around them and so i think your question is literally what we're trying to iron out and what we're trying to break down right now if yeah makes sense does that answer your question at all uh no, so, yeah you're you're 100 and <laughs> so and and i'm glad you you asked the question because so our our discussions on these topics, just so we're clear, is is just kind of our our take. Again, we're trying to like iron out different difficult topics and stuff like that. And that's kind of the whole point of this philosopher's zone is to really open up the conversation. We in the future we would like to we would like to create a a domain where we can just sit around and have these conversations and maybe if we can set up like maybe a voice channel where we can all like listen in and everything. We can, if we could figure out a way to do that, that'd be, that'd be ideal. But, mm-hmm. but yeah. So we're not necessarily subject matter experts on these topics. <laughs> we're just, we're just trying the best that we can uh, yeah. with the with the information that we have. So, so back to uh, the topic at hand. <laughs> Sorry, a little sidetrack there. It was a good sidetrack because it, I think that was a better kind of summation of what we've covered than what I did earlier. But we were relating the place for things with the form for action and basically how religion i was saying how religion solves the issue of basically how even though you change you can still be pointed towards the same thing regardless of that and so it almost gives stability in your framework and in your worldview because since that thing exists outside of you it will not change yeah, and it's kind of like, and kind I I related this to in our our last podcast as well. It's if you look at it from from like a more physical physical side, you know the the concept of gravity, mm-hmm. right? It's it's a law. It's the law of nature. It's the way nature works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have an object that's more dense than air. You release it at some height above the Earth's surface with no other force acting on it, it's going to fall towards the Earth's center, right? Most likely. Yes. <laughs> and, but you can use the concept of gravity and the concept of lift, the concept of, of drag, all that kind of stuff to build a machine that can then fly and take off into the atmosphere. And then from there, you can build a rocket that takes you to the moon. But you have to first understand those, those, those principles. Yeah. In, in play and use those principles to your advantage to do whatever you want to do with those principles, but you still have to abide by those by those laws. Mm-hmm. And I think so. Morality is a lot more abstract. Religion is a lot more abstract. But having those moral principles is kind of like setting up for yourself a set of of I guess quote unquote natural laws. Although I don't know if you'd use the word natural, but I think they would have to align with natural law in order for them to be valid. Because if if your moral framework or your moral structure doesn't actually doesn't fit the way in which the world seems to operate and orient itself, then it won't. Like there's a disconnect there, and it seems like you're following something that acts contrary to the natural flow of things. Does that make sense? Yeah, a hundred percent. But I think even more fundamentally, you're giving yourself a again, you're giving you're setting yourself you're you're willingly setting yourself within a set of 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 laws. Which with with which you can use those laws to then live out a a good life essentially. You're you know, like again, from a biblical standpoint, because that's <laughs> the We know. Yeah. But, you know, you don't, you know, one of the Ten Commandments is don't lie, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to not lie. You can lie all you want, but then there are repercussions to that lie, or to, to, to lying. Nobody's going to trust you. 
you know, there are consequences of that. So, so not lying is, you can say it follows a kind of laws of nature, but also willingly submit yourself to those, that moral principle and always telling the truth and, you know, being honest with, with other people. Well, then you build a sense of trust and you just kind of get good things from there, but you're using those, those laws to your, you're un- you understand those laws. You willingly submit yourself to those laws, and then you use those laws to your advantage, essentially. Yeah. Not in a, well, just just to try to live the best life that you can, essentially. And it, I think I think it kind of follows a very similar blueprint to what I said about gravity and being able to fly and building a rocket. You have to first understand the laws, the laws of nature. Learn how to abide by those laws and use those laws to your advantage to get to where, and and become a success in whatever you're doing. So having those those moral principles, you know, the end result in the 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 view of the world as a as a form for action, having those moral principles and willingly subject yourself to them can can lead you to success. I don't know, I'm beating a dead horse here saying the same, no. same thing like three different times. <laughs> I I think what you said makes sense though, but I would actually take it a step further than, than that and I would say that a set of moral principles, and I think this is why you really need to understand what moral system you're following is because those not only like they're not simply natural law they're not simply an understanding of the laws that guide you but they also help you understand where to point if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like it's it it gives you an imperative for action it gives you a form for action like it's i mean if you don't have any moral obligation the way in which you're living your life like, why should you live? Well, there, well I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, like, there isn't an imperative for you to actually accomplish anything in your life, but we seem to be wired to want to work some form of good in the world, and a moral system basically says, okay, you want something good? Here's where to point to. Well, I think even, so bringing it back to, like, more of a modern modern sense, you know, kids, kids grew up, with the belief of, you know, the Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and everything, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I've been thinking about this a lot today. Essentially, to that kid, the idea of Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and all that kind of stuff, those are basically a child's deities, right? Be a good be a good kid, and Santa, Santa will bring your presents at the end of the year. Be a bad kid, he's going to bring you coal, mm-hmm. right? So there's immediately an incentive. It's It's a religion, if you really think about it. Believing in Santa Claus is a religion, and somehow we're okay with believing in Santa Claus, but anybody that says that they believe in some other religion, we just want to shoot down Im- immediately, which boggles my mind. But anyways, it's... And so, you know, a kid has an incentive to, to be a good kid. Now, you could say being a good kid is very subjective, very relative. Mm-hmm. True, but they're fundamentally... First of all, there's a faith in Santa Claus. There's a belief in Santa Claus that Santa Claus exists. And then from there, again, you have your set of moral principles. Be a good kid. Or yeah. to, to get a good reward, or be a bad kid to get a bad reward. Yeah. But then, eventually you grow up, and then parents shatter your dreams and be like, oh, well, Santa's not real. Your presence came from your parents. Well, you know, how many parents are going to willingly admit that their kids haven't been good that year? And willingly just give them coal? Yeah. So either way, what's the point in being being good anymore? You don't have you you take out the belief in a deity, and in doing that, you immediately strip away the incentive for trying to live a good life and trying to live a right life. And kind of going back to what we were talking about last night, in in this maps of meaning, Jordan Pearson quotes Frederick Nietzsche, and I posted a a mugshot of him in the uh, the public Discord. I that mustache is glorious. But he says something, I don't know, his words just really, just really, it's like a knife that, that digs into the soul, in my opinion. But he says, he says this, when, when one gives up Christian belief, for example, one thereby deprives oneself to the right to Christian morality. Christianity is a system, a consistently thought out and complete view of things. If one breaks out of it a fundamental idea, the belief in God, one thereby breaks the whole thing to pieces. One has nothing of any consequence left in one's hands. 
Christianity presupposes that man does not know, cannot know, what is good for him and what is evil. He believes in God, who alone knows. Christian morality is a command. Its origin is transcendental. It is beyond all criticism, all right to criticize. It possesses truth only if God is truth. It stands or falls with the belief in God. If modern Westerners really do believe they know of their own accord intuitively what is good and evil, if they consequently think they no longer have need of Christianity as a guarantee of morality, that is merely the consequence of the ascendancy of Christian evaluation and an expression of the strength and depth of this ascendancy, so that the origin of modern morality has been forgotten, so that the highly con- conditional nature of its right to exist is no longer felt. To me, like even, and this, I don't think that just applies to like like Christian, you know, Judeo-Christian Christian beliefs. I think that that can kind of extend to really any religion. You take a you take away the belief in a deity. You strip away the the moral principle. You strip you strip away the more the the morality that hum, that I personally believe that humanity was never designed to carry in the first place. Yeah. And I guess looking looking at I know religion isn't supposed to be the, uh, the topic of this, but <laughs> looking at religion from that perspective, it's so powerful to 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 think about it in that light, and it gives me a lot more. I guess respect for the concept of religion because I mean for one at least according to Carl Jung within the collective unconscious it's it's necessary for humanity to to deify things right mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be like a uh you know quote unquote mythical deity it can be like you know we can deify ourselves we can deify pop stars rock stars we can deify movie stars yeah right we we have a natural tendency within our subconscious to de to deify things, and so I guess then if you if your natural tendency is to deify things because it's within your subconscious, then it would make sense to deify something that comes with it a set of moral principles with which you can use those moral principles moral principles to live your life to the to to live the best life that you can. Yeah. Yes. No, that that makes sense, and I. As we were kind of talking about last night, I think that's something a lot of people that kind of lean more on the atheistic side, I don't know that they fully contemplate the radical shift that's going to change if you truly believe that God doesn't exist. Because you then need some way to structure your life to where there is value. Because without that, like, you really fall into nihilism and hedonism, in my opinion. But I do kind of want to go back to, well, before we do that, we actually just got a comment saying, relating to the topic at hand, would you say society is run solely by morals or ethics, or possibly both? Since ethics is run by the social system saying saying it's the right thing to do, is it possible to be moral from that individually? So with that, we're now getting into the topic of the individual versus society, and kind of, I could be wrong, but I think the question is, does the moral system exist on the individual level or on the societal level? Is that kind of the idea there? Okay, cool, cool. You want to start, Dustin, or do you want me to? I can go ahead. So, <laughs> so I think even from from either aspect, from either social, like societal or personal, trying to bear the weight of morality is is a, in my opinion, it's a very dangerous thing. So Real kind of quick, do you mean bear by bear the weight of morality? I believe you mean bear the weight of defining what it means to be moral from mm-hmm. your own perspective. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Continue. So I know this might be a little bit of a of an extreme example, but you think about, you know, Nazi Germany back before and even during World War II, right? Natives of Germany, especially the you know the Nazi military and people that followed the the Nazi trend, believed it was morally correct to set up concentration camps to kill Jews, right? So, but now in our modern society, we're like, no, that's terrible, you know. That's so. I think, <laughs> and even things like back, if if you look at American history, there are things you know slavery, you know, during the founding of our nation. 
you know, slavery was was kind of a, and even in the South, slavery was a big thing, and everyone was okay with it. It was morally okay to have slaves. As a matter of fact, there were laws in some states where the slave owner would get in a lot of trouble if they taught their slaves how to read and write, to, to teach their slaves literacy, because that was the morally okay thing to do. It was morally okay to keep slaves in the dark when it comes to literacy. Right now in the modern society, we're like, no, that's bad. Why, you know, why would anybody think that's okay? Well, back then it was, everybody did it, right? So I think, I think relying on society itself to come up with what is definitively right and definitively wrong, I think, I don't think it's a very, I don't think it's a very wise tactic. (laughs) And so... But then you also come, if you, if you look at morality from, from the individual perspective, what might be morally correct for one person might not necessarily be morally correct for the next person. And again, this is, this is the problem <laughs> with the concept of morality, because every single one of the seven point however many billion people on earth have some concept of morality, have some idea of that there is a good, there is an, there is an evil, there is a right, there is a wrong. But how we define those specifically is, is very subjective. And that's that's kind of the part of this uh, conversation we're trying to really iron out is, I guess, trying to figure out, first of all, how to figure out what definitively is right and wrong. And then, I guess, secondly, how do you, <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the system that every one of the seven point however many billion people on earth can, can live by and live the most fulfilling life that they can? Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question or not. At least it's just kind of my take there. And I don't. Uh, do you have anything to add or? Yeah, I think, I think you were very. What you said is accurate. Is like following society. I really don't think is a great plan because, like, I mean, studies have been done. I forget exactly which study it is. Like any psychology class you take, you're going to see it where basically, a student dresses up in a lab coat and has people start basically in theory electrocuting a person on the other side of a wall and just because the guy's wearing a lab coat and tells them everything is going to be okay they go all the way up the circuit board and like don't aren't concerned with the life of the person on the other side of the wall which is like a very scary thing and i think that's what happens whenever you simply follow what society says and so the best way that I can understand this relationship and the best way in which I can understand where morality lies within this relationship so far is that morality seems to exist outside of, this going to sound weird, but the best I can understand is that morality exists outside of the human consciousness, but for humanity, if that makes sense. So like it it isn't something that we define, but it is something that is there for us, for us to live the best life that we can. And then from there, it is up to the individual to learn that and to understand how that works for them. And then society functions as a result of everyone following that, if that makes sense. And so I would say that the the definition of morality exists outside of the human perspective, but the responsibility of morality exists for every individual, and it exists uniquely in their life. And that you will have a well-functioning society when everyone takes up that responsibility and starts working towards starts working towards that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So then, I guess you could pose the question: if Morality exists outside of the conscious. How then do we find? How then do we find that that definitive morality? <laughs> well, then, do you learn the definitions of morality if it is not defined by human beings? Is that the question? Essentially, yeah. And that is an excellent question. <laughs> <laughs> One of the top ten questions scientists can't answer to this day. Uh, <laughs> I think. I think where it has to start is you have to you have to be aiming for something. Because hmm. if you're not aiming for something, you can't know how to relate the world around you to that thing, right? You have to have a set of uh, a hierarchical set of values. 
Yes, and that hierarchical set of values is generated from an aim or a goal. So then, well, and then you go into the question, well, I think having that aim or goal kind of relates to the question, what is my purpose in life? Yes. Which then (laughs) you have to figure out, is that something that I personally define as this is my purpose in life, or is that something that I have to wait for some somebody else to tell me what my purpose in life is and yeah. how do how do I go about finding what that purpose is yeah and i think a place to start if like you don't know what you're doing and you don't know where you're at and you don't know what you believe i think one place to start would be asking the question like what are my natural facilities what am i naturally gifted in or capable of doing that fills some sort of meaning in my life. So for me personally, one thing that I really do enjoy doing is making other people's day, right? And so I get a lot of, huh? What did you say? Making other people's day. Like doing something that like just makes their day. Just, you know, makes them happy. Oh, I thought you said what makes other people stay. I was like, stay where? (laughs) (laughs) No, mate. I was confused. (laughs) My bad. <laughs> um, no, you're good. But so I work at a coffee shop because I like that's meaningful for me because what I'm doing there is I'm I'm making people coffee and I'm having conversation with them and that seems to make their day. And so like, okay, that's not necessarily a broad perspective like you know where I'm going in life and you know what my life purpose is, but it's a place to start. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think, again, going back to Maps of Meaning, I think that kind of boils down to Jordan Peterson's, uh, he says there, so basically there there are four things that uh, people need to know, four things. One, what there is. Two, what to do about what there is. Three, that there is a difference between knowing, between knowing what there is and knowing what to do about what there is. And then four, what that difference is. <laughs> <laughs> and so... I think identifying identifying your individual strengths, so what there is, mm-hmm. and then what to do about what there is, is like, okay, how do I use these strengths to the benefit of not only myself, but also the people around me? How do I yep. make a positive influence? How do I create a positive influence? How do I create a positive effect in yep. my community, in my, in my society, in my environment? Knowing that there's a difference between what there is and knowing what to do about what there is. So knowing, you know, the difference difference between between knowing what you can do and knowing how to use what you can do in your life towards some seemingly positive direction. Yes. And then knowing what that difference is like. (laughs) Yeah. And Um, what does that look like and how do you actually start moving that forward? I think is kind of the answer to that fourth question. Or so then, statement. Sorry, continue. so then, would that be like kind of definitively, even from like a non-religious perspective, would that be definitively what being good, being a good person would would be? Is to is to just. Think, oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Finish your question. Well, I was just saying to understand what what your individual strengths are, and then understanding how to use those those individual physical understanding how to use those individual strengths to the benefit of yourself and your society yeah the society you're in i think it is a place to start and i think that as you kind of pull on that string as you kind of begin that and you start to kind of unravel the aspects of your life that's where the journey begins and so and i do want to make one clarification with what i said earlier knowing your strengths i don't see as a subjective thing I see it as a relative thing, is rel- relative to the individual, but I do believe that we kind of come into this world with absolute strengths and weaknesses, and understanding that about yourself, I would say is, again, that's where you start. <laughs> well, I think, and I think that's the importance of really conversation, is, you know, we all look, we all look at ourselves from a very different lens to where what how other people view us yeah you know and to some extent that could be very what's the what's the word very self very prideful right i've done all these things i've accomplished all these things i'm this kind of person therefore i am the yeah i'm i'm the pinnacle of humanity and then some other 
on the other side, it could be, well, you got the 16-year-old over here that's a multi-billionaire, and I'm 21 and I've done nothing with my life yet. You know, I am the epitome yeah. of, you know, the lack of humanity, or like, I'm the worst of the worst. Um, but continue. Yeah, no, 100%. So, but other people might not view us in that in that light. And I think that's an important, the, the importance of conversation is you can, you can glean some insight of how other people view you if you really listen and then from there construct what you're good at, some things you need to, to work on. Mm-hmm. And then you can focus on, you know, partly working on those things that you might not be the strongest in and then, yep. and then focusing your energy on those things that you, that you are strong in and using those strengths to, again, benefit yourself and, and, your, and the society around you. Yeah, or also understanding what information has been covered already and like what ideas have been explored. And I think that's part of the purpose of adolescence, you know, that kind of age of, you know, when you're born up to adulthood, so around 18, is like <laughs> you're kind of being caught up on what humanity knows so far. I think our society is really good about doing that with the objective and the place for things framework and mindset. You know, we focus a lot on STEM. We focus a lot on like, oh, here's how you structure a paper. Here's how you make an argument, this, that, and the other. But we're not as great about doing that with meaning and purpose of like, oh, here's what we understand about meaning and purpose so far. <laughs> the mitochondria is the power cell, powerhouse of the cell, but how do I write a check? <laughs> Uh, yeah but that is the beautiful thing about conversation and hearing other people is they they might be like they might have some aspect of meaning or morality and know something about that that you don't and so attending to them and listening to them and hearing what they have to say they might be able to see something in your life that you don't necessarily see yet and again so four parts are understanding what is, understanding what to do about what there is, understanding what the difference between... Understanding understanding that there is a difference and then understanding what that difference is. Yes. And going back to the conversation, I really like, again, going back to Jordan Peterson, his 12th rule for life is when you talk to somebody, always assume that they know something that you don't. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's very important. I think... Yeah, that's very that's that's the importance of conversation, honestly, because especially when it comes to abstract topics like perspective and morality, not something that we're we're the the most gifted in, mm-hmm. but you can using other people's perspectives and really listening to to other people's ideas, evaluating those ideas, how do they compare to the real world? It it can give you basically a more three-dimensional view of of certain topics. And yeah. I think I honestly it's a I think it's a very it's a very beautiful thing. And again, that's the reason why we started this podcast is to try to really open up those conversations mm-hmm. and really try to get more ideas flowing into into these more abstract topics to then hopefully from there be able to collectively construct a the best 3D image of abstract topics that we can. Yeah. And really, I've got a blog post on this somewhere of like, the beautiful thing about conversation is you're capable of exploring new ideas and then also working together to refine those ideas to relate them as best you can to the real world. So, yeah. and, and I, I think that's kind of what we're doing here, but that's what we would like to do is get people to where we are exploring as many topics as possible. And then we're also refining them down as best as we can to actually understand how this relates to us and help hopefully help us you know lead and guide better lives and take on more responsibility and understand that we're more capable of than i think oftentimes we perceive that we are but yeah and i think fundamentally pursuing those ends really you have to take a more proactive approach Mm -hmm. you have to really actively seek you know seek out those conversations seek out those kind of really I don't think you can necessarily wait till till life tells you things you need to know. I think it, it takes a very proactive approach to really seek seek that that information. 
and really, again, open up the conversation and then figuring out how to take that information and use it to benefit yourself and people people around around you. you. Yeah. And that, I mean, I think that's just a fundamental shift in my perspective lately is like understanding that's, that's how we're supposed to live life. Like we're not supposed to just kind of sit back and wait for life to hand us things, but like we need to be proactive in our lives and we need to, you know, move forward and actually seek these things out. And going back to perspective and morality, like I don't think there's a natural law and a natural order to the way in which the world orients itself and the way in which the world works. But I don't think that you're going to be able to understand that and understand how that relates to you and understand how that helps you lead a better life unless you actually step out and act upon it. And that if that's not what you're doing in everything that you are doing, what's going to happen is essentially society is going to be reading that kind of information into you. And that... Brainwashing. (laughs) In some sense, honestly, that... Basically, your perspective and your moral structure and your moral system is simply going to be an effect of the environment in which you grew up in. And, and I, I well, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, like, and I don't think that's how we're meant to live. Like, okay, 0 to 18 or 0 to 20 is, you know, you're getting caught up on all the information that humanity has so far in theory. But then I would say going beyond that throughout your adulthood your job and your responsibility is to continue learning that information, but then begin questioning it and begin digging into it and begin exploring it in a very critical and a very wake and alert proactive way to hopefully better refine our current understanding and help us move forward. 100%. And even then, taking more of a reactive approach to life, and this this kind of goes back to the concept of, of, you know, order and chaos very fundamentally, the known and the unknown. Yeah. Within within the individual's known, it's it's very comfortable because it's very predictable. It's yeah. you know, you know what things are going to happen, you know, because it's it's within the realm of the known. Yeah. If you don't take a proactive approach in exploring the unknown, the chaos, the the things that are not predictable, which can be very scary at times, honestly. Mm-hmm. If you don't take that proactive approach, at some point that unknown is going to come into your known that chaos is going to make its way into your order again going back to jordan peterson he says involuntary exposure to chaos means accidental encounter with the forces that undermine the known world the effective consequences of such encounter can be literally overwhelming it is for this reason that individuals are highly motivated to avoid sudden manifestations of the unknown for this reason that individuals will go to almost any length to ensure that their protective cultural s- stories remain intact and yeah i know we're kind of sidetracked getting a little sidetracked going into known and unknown but i think it, it very much relates to morality in that you kind of have to step into the unknown you know because you don't know how a conversation is going to go you have to step out into the unknown converse with people willingly 100 percent, and subject yourself to new ideas new ideas that some might be contrary to to what you really believe but then you take that information and really evaluate it how does it line up with with reality the objective reality or you know how and then update your own personal map update your known so that your domain of the known is a lot is a lot larger and then when you come across to with somebody who who has a specific perspective and then you go to somebody else who may have a similar perspective well then you've already had that experience with that first individual and you can further inquire one into their perspective and then two you already have some familiarity with that perspective because you've already done the work of evaluating that idea and then you can have more a better conversation because you can be like, okay, this is what we mutually agree on. Yeah. And then here are some things that we differ. Let's kind of talk it out and let's both of us synergistically really seek the truth of the matter. Yeah. And, and you're then you're actually able to dive deeper into ideas because you know you're able to like like you said, kind of say like this is a ground that we've already covered. And maybe you can even say, I already know that we disagree on this point, but there's a deeper concept that I think we haven't hit yet as to why we disagree. There's a deeper understanding, okay, on the surface level, 
I believe A, you believe B, but let's dig deep into the underlying reasons in which we believe those and explore newer concepts that we haven't seen before because the structures of our lives, the value structures of our lives are fundamentally different. And then you're able to explore it and then you might say, okay, not everything here is useful for me, but this aspect of the structure is actually fantastic and now I can bring that into my own life and help me structure my life that way. And again, kind of pulling on that thread and continuing to seek after what is true and what is meaningful in your life. And even then, like not just going, okay, you believe A, I believe B, let's dig deeper, but maybe you can be like, okay, what are some aspects of A that I really like? What are some aspects of B that you really like? How can we put these together to make something a little bit more mutual? Well, yeah, something a little bit more mutual, but then let's take that combined idea and then let's hold it up against reality and see if it sticks, see if it stands. How does the logic, how does the, you know, how does it relate to to objective reality? Does it work? What do we need to tweak about it? And I think, again, that goes back to having really the key words being synergistic and the seeking of truth. You really have those those synergistic conversations yeah, and bring in those multiple perspectives so you can develop a more well-rounded perspective of those those more abstract topics like morality. Yeah. And that's, I think, another point is that, like, life by nature is extremely complex. And so by having these conversations, you're able to take your simple perspective and try and incorporate it in a more complex system so that your understanding of life is more accurate and more conducive to the way in which the world orients itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. So... It is about time that we do kind of wrap up this this episode. Thank you all for coming in and tuning in to our conversation on perspective and morality. Our next episode, oh, again, we'll post it. Wait, hold on. Hold up. Oh, uh, no problem. Thank you for, for tuning yes. in. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the comments and the questions. You guys have been fantastic listeners. Yes, 100%. We will post our next episode, our next event on this discord channel hopefully we're we're gonna try to get it more more regularly but yeah again thank Daily, you all. next friday similar time and we will be trying to put perspective morality on hold for a little bit although i do think we have more to cover on this topic but yeah. next week we're going to be exploring the idea that if you have to experience pain and pleasure equally is there a way in which you can still live a life that you are happy with all of that is going to be in the title of our next episode, word for word. Uh, <laughs> no, we'll figure out a way to, to narrow it down. All right. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next episode.